Welcome to Southridge. We're excited to see you here. We are going to be wrapping up a series entitled From This Day Forward. And uh, many of you have hung with us over this incredible series. I just, I'm just curious, how many of you still have your purple wristband? I'm just really curious. Wow, that's incredible. Now, the next question, how many did well after last week's assignment? No, don't, don't raise your hand. Just keep that hand down. TMI. We will, we'll find out later. But today we're going to be wrapping up the series. So um, this has been such a great series. A lot of things that I've learned and I've been helped with is not been because, oh, I'm super Christian or I'm super husband. It's really because I've got an amazing wife. And uh, she's such a blessing to me, but then also to our church. She's on staff here. She helps lead here. And a lot of the vision and drive behind a lot of what we do here. And so she's going to co-teach with me today. So let's give her a warm round of applause as Jane comes to the front. All right. Man, good to have you up here. So, I'm, man, I love it. You guys are excited. I told, I, I leaned over to her and I was like, man, we're not going to do this too often. She said, why? Because I said, I think people like you better than me. So, yeah, I'm a little bit insecure when I have her up here, but it's great. She's a blessing. So here's what's going to be different about today's format, all right? Now, up on the screen, they're going to put a number. And throughout the next 30 minutes, you can text that number anonymously. And you could text in a question. And we're going to try to get to your question as many as we can get to through the next 30 minutes as we kind of go through the materials we look at this book of Hosea so you say I've got a question and the number will get routed to my wife's cell phone number now here's the thing you say oh no no no! now she's gonna know no 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 she won't it's just all anonymous don't put your name don't be like this is from you know and you don't have to do that and I know in the first service some of the guys and some of the girls are probably like well what if my spouse is here and I'm asking a question about them? Well, I'm sorry about that. That's going to be awkward, but, uh, you know, deal with it, you know, and uh, we'll just text it in. So anytime as we're going through is you could text that number and they'll kind of periodically, it'll go back up on the screen, but let's dive into it. Let's just do a recap real quick. So we were studying the last several weeks out of the book of Hosea. Hosea is a small book in the middle of your Bible and, uh, it's one of the minor prophets and Hosea was given a, a unique command by God. You say, what was that unique command? The command was to go get married. You you say, well, that's, that's normal. That's safe. That's good. Yeah, except God was having a, 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 a moment where he wanted to illustrate how Israel's relationship with God had been. It had been distant, on and off, hot and cold, back and forth. And so God does something very drastic. He tells this prophet, this young prophet. Now, you've got to understand, there's only about 50 prophets in the entire Bible, okay? So he's one of these elite, elite, elite Christian leaders. And so that means you live a life of purity, upstanding. And so God tells him, you're going to go marry a girl. And as we went through it, we, he says, you can imagine the conversation Jose has with God. God, who do you want me to marry? Is it the, you know, the new Sunday school teacher? God's like, no. Is it that new girl in the choir? No. Um, she works across town. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Let, yeah, I'd love to meet her, God. And, uh, uh, you know, and God's like, yeah, we're going to go meet her tonight. And, and she'll be out tonight, and uh, we're going to go find her. And, uh, and then we said, you know, he goes and sees her, and, he's, and Hosea says to God, God, which one? And God's like, she's wearing, you know, the, the biblical blouse. You know, lo and behold, that's, that's, that's her. That's, that's the one I want you to marry. God tells a prophet to marry a prostitute. And you thought the Bible was not relevant. You, you were like, I, I can't get anything out of the Bible. It just doesn't speak to me or anything. This is amazing that God puts us in there for us because you're going to see, and as we've studied over the last several weeks, they had many struggles, many challenges. She was unfaithful to him multiple times, had multiple children from other men, and then she eventually goes back into prostitution, and eventually she is rescued out of sex trafficking in chapter 3. And so we see all the ups and downs of their relationship. 
And we see how God comes in and steps in and paints a beautiful picture. And so that's what we've been studying. So let me just back up for the first couple weeks. Week number one, we talked about brides and baggage. And I, I didn't mean to discriminate at all against the ladies. But here's what happens. When we get married, you didn't realize the person you married had a little suitcase. And that suitcase was filled with their issues. But then we open up the suitcase. We find that the issues have issues. And you didn't know that. You just thought, man, this person, they're perfect. They're great. Well, guess what? No, they, they are from a family that had some dysfunction. They are, uh, have, have some things that have happened to them that have created some problems. And what happens in a relationship is many times as they start unpacking the baggage, they say, this is all I can take. And then they pack their bags and they go on to the next relationship until that person can't take their baggage. And so we looked at it, the fact that, wait a minute, God loves us unconditionally. And we're to love our spouse unconditionally. And unconditional love can radically transform a relationship. You see, love should not be based on how she looks or how he looks, what they do or what they do not do. Unconditional love is just that. It's no conditions. And that would revolutionize your marriage. That would revolutionize a lot of things. So that was first week. Then week two, we talked about cursed couples. We said that you married the wrong person. And then we had everybody look at their spouse and say, I married the wrong person. And some of the wives were really eager to say that. I don't know why, but they just, they had no problem talking to their spouse. And I, I married, and even my mom thought so, you know. And uh, so, funny story I heard this week. There were three men that went to counseling. And uh, the counselor said, what would you guys do if you only had four weeks to live? And one guy said, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to blow all my money in Vegas. The second guy is a little more philanthropic. He said, you know what, I'm going to go serve the poor. And the third guy, he was like, you know what, I'm going to move in with my mother-in-law. And everybody's like, why are you going to... Why are you going to move in with your mother-in-law? Because those would be the longest four weeks of my life. It's messed up, isn't it? It's terrible. It's terrible. But we said that when it comes to marriage, we married the wrong person. Why? Because we were designed by God, the Imago Dei, but then we were disfigured by sin. Sin disfigured us. It mars the relationship. And because of that, it makes it very, this relationship, it, it becomes difficult at times. There, it has great moments. It has its deep valleys. And so we said that we're going to lean in, we're going to lock eyes, and we're going to love deep. Because oftentimes, there's those moments where it's, there's a lot of tension. You don't want to lean into that. You want to lean back. And we said anger is our way of pushing the issues away. It's pushing away. That's what anger is. I don't want to talk about that right now. Just ignore that. That never happened. Why are you looking at my phone? Why? You don't trust me. What is that anger? It's pushing away the issue. And so we said we're going to lean into it. And one of the questions we said is three powerful words. It's the most powerful words that any guy or gal can use. It's not I love you. It was this simple phrase. When you're in the middle of something and you're just saying, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm connecting. The three powerful words are tell me more. And you would find that, and some of you guys have been practicing that with your significant other, and she's just like falling in love with you all over again because you're just like, yeah, tell me more. And some of you are like, I, Pastor, I'm lying when I say it, but I just sit there and I just, I just, I just lean in and I lock eyes and I love deep. And that's what, what's happening. You're finding the relationship is, is blossoming, is transforming. So what, what were the other two weeks? So week three, we talked about the power of purple, and I mm-hmm. thought that was actually one of my favorites because we talked about how women always see pink. And men see blue. And sometimes we can get into this um, perspective where, oh, I'm always, oh, I'm always only right. Because this is how I see things. And that's all pink. And then guys can do the same thing. But then combined both is actually purple. And I love that. Yeah. The power of purple is actually including God in our relationship. Right. And having not just seeing what I see, but seeing not only considering what you see, but yeah. how God sees things. And then last week was this experiment. And it was the seven 
seven-day sex challenge for married couples. Let me yes, include yes, that there. Yeah. We had some and, of the teens in the youth group. We were real excited. You know, we were like, wait a minute. Hold on. Back up. Back up. And um, it was interesting because I was getting texts from uh, wives last week. And one of them was like, oh, man, we failed. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, it is it is mental thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, ha- you can't just, you know, oh, we're going to do this challenge mm-hmm. as a husband and wife. Yeah. You actually have to plan for this. Mm-hmm. Because, number one, if you're fighting, you can't be intimate yeah. with each other. Yeah. So, um, you know, going through your day and you're like, you kind of feel like an argument is about to happen, but you both agree that you're going to do this sex challenge. Mm-hmm. Then you kind of have to, okay, no, you know, we have to fix this right away. Yeah. Otherwise, we can't make it to the challenge. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that was, it was a game changer for a lot of couples mm-hmm. because you think about it, oh, it's something easy. But then it involves a lot of emotions, yes. a lot of, like I said, mental thing. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how sex is not just physical. It's actually non-sexual things, which yeah. are not physical things. And we talked about that. Um, you mentioned that it is not between – great sex is between the ears before it's between the legs. And some people, I was like, oh, you know, that doesn't sound right. But it's actually what I said based on non-sexual mm-hmm. things. And we think of sex as like something physical that mm-hmm. you have to do, but it involves a lot of emotions and all that. Um, and you also mentioned how women are slow cookers mm-hmm. and men are microwaves. And it just takes like a whole day for women, you know, to process things. And it's, it's different because, yeah. you know, like you would come home and I'm like, I'm so tired. <laughs> I was in my mind, like, no, I'm not thinking about this right now. And ultimately, throughout the day, I have to think about it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing with my husband. And it, all throughout the day, it has to be on our mind, wives, before we even yeah. engage to this. Isn't that so counterculture? cultural to our culture our culture is kind of has this image that hey women are always they're like guys you know and wired that way and some of you are about to get married or you are married and that was a rude awakening for you you're like wait you you're not like i am this is not we're not lying the same so this is like eye-opening to you to find this out because and and ladies you're like well i just can't believe you know guys you're always about sex and 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 they surveyed men and 97 percent of men said the most important thing in the relationship surprise surprise was sex but not exactly sex it was sexual fulfillment and so that means not just the act of it but it's the fact that both partners find enjoyment in it and so you say well that's just wrong guys shouldn't be all about that and and i would say yeah you're probably right and that's probably how it shouldn't be and your ladies may be thinking guys should just be in it because they want affection and they want relationship and they just want they just want companionship and ladies if that's how we were wired we would go get a golden retriever we just, that's what we do. We go get a dog, all right? But there's more to it than just that, okay? So we're looking for a little bit more. And so that last week was, was pretty interesting and challenging. What else did we have to say about that, hon? Um, you did say that sex is a thermometer of the relationship. Yeah. And 90- because oftentimes we go from soulmates to roommates. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that you're in the same house, but you're just roommates now. And we, how do we go back to soulmates? Yeah. But I do want to bring up, we have a lot of questions. You guys are an active crowd. Hey, all right. <laughs> the first hour was like one question, another yeah. question. But now my, my phone is like blowing up. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> there we go. All right. Now, she, got, she threw out some hard ones. So hopefully these are a little bit easier. But we'll, we'll just take them as they come. Should we go over to text first? Let me go over scripture. Let me dive in real quick. I want to share a powerful verse. Because Hosea, tie, he kind of bookends 
his book. He closed it. Now, Hosea is speaking in the city of Samaria, and he's speaking to the, there was a civil war in Israel, and two tribes broke off. So he's speaking to the one tribe in Samaria. And here's what he says in Hosea chapter number 11. And if you have your uh, Bible, or if you want to turn on your Bible in case you use a smartphone, uh, we're going to look at Hosea chapter 11. Notice, I want to read just two verses. The Bible says, how can I give you up? This is Hosea speaking. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma, and how can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. Now, this is Hosea speaking, but God is, through, through inspiration, has given him the words. But this is Hosea having some real emotions about how he feels about Gomer. Gomer's betrayed him. And some of you in this room, you've gone through deep betrayal in the relationship. There's been some infidelity or there's been some emotional infidelity. And, and you're just, you're, you're not sure how to handle it. But notice what God, through, the, in, through his Holy Spirit, is able to transform Hosea. So now he's, he's like, I can't give you up. And here's what's interesting. He mentions two cities. These are two cities that were outside the city of Sodom. Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And we don't hear about the other cities. We know about Sodom and Gomorrah, but there were other cities destroyed. And Adma and Zeboim were two other cities. And God's saying, hey, I don't want to forget you. I want to remember you. And sometimes in a relationship, you go through seasons where you're just like, I want to forget that. And I want to forget that person. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm never going to cast you aside because we want you to know there is hope. There's three types of relationship in this room right now. There are those you're seeking marriage. You're saying, I'm single and I'm seeking it, or, or you're engaged, you're still seeking marriage. The other part is you're surviving marriage. You're, you're not soulmates, you're roommates, and so you're surviving. And there's the third, there are those that are going to save their marriage. God's using this series to speak to your heart. God's going to use his word to speak to you. And so we know who's here in this room, and we're praying for you. You know our heart is for you to succeed and win in your relationship. I didn't share this earlier, but I'll share it with you now. They say that a healthy marriage, the, the happiness and the joy it brings is equivalent. This New York Times said it's the equivalent of having a $50,000 per year raise. That's, that's what a happy marriage does. You just feel like, I make more money. I just, I just feel better about myself and better about life. So we want that for you. We believe this is a great picture of what God wants. So as we do that, we're going to dive in this morning and dive into some of your questions and see what we can get out of this. So a couple of the questions are kind of similar, so I'll probably reword them because they're both the same. But um, one person did say um, this person is currently dating. um, Is currently dating. They've Mm -hmm. both been married before, but they don't want to have sex. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is what was it like navigating the expectations of sex after you got married, especially after not having sex before marriage? Mm -hmm. Kind of Similar Can effect. we just, first of all, like say that's awesome. Like, let's just applaud. I don't know who this couple is, but we just need to applaud them because culture says, hey, get it on. Like, that's what culture says. And so the fact that they are saying, hey, we want to, uh, we want to keep this holy. Hebrews 13, 4 says that to keep the bed pure. That's what Hebrew says. Hey, God blesses it. He wants it, but he says, hey, keep it pure. So the fact that you're doing that, oh, that's amazing. So that's half the battle right there. Half the battle is you setting in mind what's the goal that we want. And so what was the other side? They said when, after they get married, what's going to change? So what is the sexual expectation? Yes. Okay, what is the expectation? Like how to navigate that? How to navigate the okay. expectations of sex after you got married. Well, speaking from our personal experience, we're not perfect, but... Huh? Really? Oh. It was, a, it was a struggle for us to stay pure, and I'm, I'm here to tell you that. Um, just because <laughs> Matt's physical, well, his physical, his love language was physical touch mm-hmm. before we got married. I'll tell you that now. But it was, um, it was very. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It was very Seven day hard. challenge. Oh, whoop. 
TMI, TMI. Go ahead. Go it ahead. was very hard to stay pure because we both made mm-hmm. a decision when we were dating. We're yeah. going to stay pure until... Yes. Uh, you know, yes. uh, until we say I do, mm-hmm. the mar- uh, yeah. until we got married. And what that involved was actually being in, a, in groups of people all yes. the time, not mm-hmm. isolating ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, now in our culture, it's always like, oh, they're a couple, they're on their own. Mm-hmm. And what happens, I mean, it's, it's good and it's bad because you do get to know the other person, but also you're isolating yourself from influence of other people. And what we did when we were dating, we were always in groups of people. Um, it did give us, you know, a lot of accountability. So it's not like, oh, it's just us. We even had yeah. chaperones. <laughs> we had chaperones. Yeah. And we were like 20. Even while we were engaged. <laughs> we were already 20. We still brought chaperones. Just because we wanted, you know. Yeah. A, a, Protect them. And I told um, I did tell him, you know, one day we're going to have kids. And I want to look at our daughter's eye and our kids yeah. and mm-hmm. tell them, mom and dad saved our purity until yeah. we got married. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. It was, mm-hmm. it was very hard. Yeah. Yeah. But um, she did um, – sorry. One of the other questions was, how did you navigate it after you got married? After you got married. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. When it – afterwards, so I don't know the, the background of this, but as things change, here's what I've noticed, is good communication in regards to intimacy changes everything. So it's having the communication and saying, hey, what works for you? How often? What will we do? What, what are we comfortable with? What are we not comfortable with? And without going into great details, I find that people just never talk about it with their yeah. spouse. They just, guys, we kind of go into it thinking, well, she knows I just want it every day. You know, she just kind of knows. And she doesn't. And if you don't bring it up, she's like, good, he's not thinking about it. I'm not going to bring it up. I got dishes to do, diapers to change, a house to clean. I am not going to bring it up. Like, like, if you're waiting for her to bring it up, you're going to be a very old and lonely person. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, she's not going to be inclined to just volunteer this. But there is, and, and some guys, we feel that, well, that's beneath me to say, hey, uh, tomorrow night, can you just plan on? But if your spouse is like mine, and she's a planner, she's detailed, she's organized, that works really well to just, just put it on the calendar. And then just say, hey, hon, I put something in your iCal, and just just be there. Just, and sometimes your spouse is like, great, I'll be there, not a problem. And you're like, that's it? That's all I got to do? Like, that's it? And some of you, that right there was the revolutionary idea. You're welcome. It'll, it'll help you right there. So what's the next question? Sorry. Um, the other one was, Um, what happens in marriage when one of the partners lose their faith? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that, that, we brought this up earlier in the mm-hmm. first service. The first, we've been married nine years. Mm-hmm. For many years, it was a big struggle in our relationship. And it was due to the fact that I was trying to control her. I was trying to be God in her life. And what that is, is actually manipulation. And some of you just need to own up to that, that you're trying to control the other person. You just need to own up to it. I'm trying to manipulate, coerce. I'm trying to get my way. And we're just control freaks. We really are. And so what I had to come to the realization was that I can't change myself. So what makes me think I could change her to get her to do what I want to do? And so in this matter of losing the faith, you can't give somebody your faith. You, you can be a model of it, but here's what I started doing. I started praying, not that Jane lost her faith, but I started praying that the Holy Spirit would do what I can't do in her life. You need to start saying, I'm going to put this on my prayer list that the Holy Spirit will speak to this person. And what we can do is we can try and say, you know, hey, please, what do I got to do to get you there? What do I got to do? I mean, you can try all that, but at the end of the day, 
you have to say, you know what, what kind of example am I being? Listen to the Holy Spirit yourself, but then let the Holy Spirit work, and you'll be surprised. The Holy Spirit, he's the one who saved you and led you to faith. He can lead them if it's the husband or if the wife can lead them back to faith. And that's what I would say. I would say, and you, you might think, well, prayer, that's a easy, that's a cop-out. No, I think we underestimate the power of prayer. Around here, we say we have not because we ask not. So let's ask. Yeah. I think yeah. I'd say the same thing. Um, one of the one of the things I've learned in our marriage before, since I like to do projects, I like I'm I'm very strategic. strategic. <laughs> when I see a problem, you know, this is what I'm going to do A B C, and it came to a point when I look at him as a project, and that was it was a big turning point <laughs> from and God just like spoke to my heart one day, and he was like <laughs> he was like stop looking at him as your little project. Amen. <laughs> Preach it. This is a lot of transparency on my end. Just because in my mind, you know, he, he needs to fix this. He needs to do this. And at the end of the day, it was like God was just telling me, if, if he's not listening, if Makai's not listening to God, he's not going to listen to me. Yeah. And I had to learn that. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, if I, if I tell him this, he's going to do it. Or if, you know, if I send him a little text, like, oh, what, what do you think about this verse? <laughs> you know? Does this verse speak to you? Um, I could do, like, these subtle ways. And, at, you know, at the bottom, li- the bottom line is, if he's not listening to the Holy Spirit, he's not going to listen to me. And I have to realize that, God, you have to work in his heart. You have to do the things that you, what you said that I cannot do. You, I can't change him. I can love him. I can respect him, and that's all I can do. But I cannot force him to be this, or I can't tell him, you know, you need to do that. And God has to ultimately work in your heart. And when God does, it's like something, I, I mean, I just step back, and I'm like, wow, this is a different man. Because sometimes we talk about it, and I'm like, oh, I remember he used to do this. And he's like, that's a different Makai. <laughs> And we just look back like, oh, I remember when you first got married, like, you would do this or you would say this. And I'm like, wow, God's really, like, grew both of us. And then he would say things like, oh, you would you used to react this way. And I'm like, wow, you're right. I used to act like that. And God just both grew us together. Yeah. And one thing I'll say to that as well is, okay, so this is a common one that happened in our relationship, is she would get a relationship book. And she's great. She goes through the relationship book, and she's got a highlighter. She's got little sticky notes. And so she'd get a book, and she'd just go through it and digest it. And she's like, this is such a good book. And she would put it on my nightstand, just, just right there. And you know what I would do? I thought it was a decoration. I'm not, I'm not going to touch that. And then she would bring it up. What it communicated to me is that I'm not good enough. That's what it communicated to me. And what does the Bible say about us? The Bible says that you're beloved, not be better, not be perfect. And so I'm just kind of like, well, I'm a work in progress, but that looked like an affront. And that's just how God wired men and women differently, okay? Now, if a guy goes and gets a relationship book and brings it home, you'll score major brownie points. As a matter of fact, when I would do that, she'd be like, you got, you got me a marriage book? And we're going to do this together? Like, we're going to read it together? This is great. She gets on the phone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he cares about me. He, yeah, yeah. He's seeing pink. Like, he cares about our relationship. Yeah, we're going to do it together. Yeah, we got a book. Our relationship's amazing. Hashtag blessed. You know, I mean, and she would just go through that. And, and that's what it communicated to her. But when a guy gets it, you know, it just doesn't work, you know. And, and, and another thing, guys, if she starts saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't feel good about my body. And, you know, she, she might be talking about, hey, the holidays were a little bit, you know, extra. And the guy walks by Barnes and Nobles. There's very few of them. Uh, he, he sees this book on how to be a slim, healthy mama. And you're like, yes, that's it. She was just talking about it. And you bring it back. And then she just murdered you. You just, that's it's a game over. It's just dead. Why? They take it 
differently. Okay, so you just got to be careful. This is how God wires men and women. What's the next question? This one is, um, sorry, I kind of laughed here. I know sex is for marriage, but mm-hmm. how kink here things allowed to get before getting in biblical? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, here's what 1 Corinthians 7, 1 says. It is good for a man not to have sexual relationship with a woman. Now, you say, where's the line? This is the exact question culture is asking. Where's the line? And if you read the book of Song of Solomon, the, the woman in the relationship says, do not awaken love before it's time. See, culture is asking that question. That's a great question. That's what culture has wired us. Where's the line? And culture is always moving that line. Always moving the line. Some of you, you remember the day and age where you would go to school and your principal, for some of the ladies, would say, get down on your knees, the skirt's not touching the floor. And that was your public school. That's not your Christian school. And, and some of you remember the fact that guys had to have a haircut and, and all these standards, and even your teachers were watching, looking out for you. So understand the line is always moving. And that's a cultural question. So we as uh, people that want to follow Christ and have a healthy relationship, we're not asking where's the line. We're asking when's the time. Okay? Can you write that down somewhere? Not where is the line, but when is the time? And the time is after marriage. That's, that's the time for that. That's when God says, this is now the picture of oneness. Because, in, in, in ladies, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Um, you're giving up something that God has meant to kind of be a glue that binds the relationship. And you're giving it up so soon, you're undermining your own in- endeavors. You're, you're, you're really doing a disservice to yourself. Because now you're giving him essentially at the end of the day all that he wants and what else is there to stay in the relationship and so that's why we have this hookup culture that we have so it's not about asking where's the line it's about asking when's the time and the time is at marriage the next question is do you follow the ideology of the male being the head of the marriage if so what does that balance look like when jane is super cool and type a (laughs) here's what i've learned here's what i've learned if it's not her idea, it's a bad idea. Can we just leave it there? Like, that's it. You know, mic drop, right? Like, that's just happy wife, happy life. No, no, here's what we've learned. Here's what we've learned. Um, Ephesians 5, you go to Ephesians 5. It says the husband is to love the wife like Christ loved the church. And the Bible says in verse 22, and the wives are to submit to the husband. Now, here's the thing. The Bible gives a command to wives that's different from the command to husbands. Husbands are commanded to love. Why? Because love does not come naturally for a man. But God doesn't give the same command to a woman because why? It's her nature to nurture. It's not a man's nature to nurture, but it is a woman's. And so God uh, puts it out that there, there's these differences. So when it comes to a strong woman, I knew that I needed a strong woman. That's, that's just one of the things I knew. I dated a girl that I just looked at her one day as we were eating, and I was just like, I'm going to ruin this poor girl's life. Like I literally, I literally had that thought. And when, she, when we broke up, she was just devastated. I was like, I'm doing you the biggest favor. Like just, just I know me, and I will just walk all over you. I just will. And this is one thing our parents said about us. When you ask Jane's parents, who is the hardest children out of four to raise, they'll say it was Jane. And when she asked my parents, who is the hardest out of seven to raise, they're going to say it was Mikhail. We're both very strong-willed, very, both stubborn. But here's the thing. Unless we're tempered by the Holy Spirit, guess what? 
we could easily, any of us outside the power and the work of grace of God and the Holy Spirit, we could be a gomer. That's what the story of Hosea is, is that outside of the work of Christ, we all could go anywhere. So what's worked out in our relationship, and it seems like a cop-out, is communication has been a real good thing for us to really talk about things, to say, hey, look, I'm feeling like you're just kind of stepping on me. But then I've learned that there's some areas she handles the finances. Otherwise, we'd be broke and be homeless and came to be out on the side of the road like we'll work for food. You know, he would. He would. All right. So I gave that to her, her strong points. And I don't have to have an ego over it. Like, oh, hey, I, she literally gives me an allowance. Like, no joke. I get an allowance. Don't but here's the sneaky. She was like, oh, you didn't spend your allowance last month. I was like, I didn't know I had an allowance. She's like, yeah, you did. Oops, I forgot to tell you. She's like, well, I'm going to spend it this month. So thanks a lot. And, uh, but the other thing too that worked yeah. for us is since I'm such a strong personality, I like, mm-hmm. um, I do like to lead. And I think that's what I told him. Yes. You know, I did marry him because of that. Um, the other thing that worked for us is not only communication, but having schedule. Because yeah. sometimes, like, I wanted, I wanted him to do something. And he was like, oh, I forgot to do that. Or, you know, like having a routine set where if you go to our house, <laughs> you're going to laugh because we both have our schedule and it's every 30 minutes or an hour, every something minutes. like that. Where I actually From know. From 5.30 in the morning till 7.30 at night, every 30 where minutes Where we both see what we're doing. So I'm not expecting him like, you know, you were supposed to do this. But then that time, and then I look at his schedule, oh, that's his time, you know, counseling with people, or this is his prep time for a sermon. So I know exactly where he's at, and I know what he's doing. So when I ask him, oh, were you supposed to, like, you know, take the trash out or do the yards? And I know he only does that on Friday. So I'm not expecting the lawn to be mowed during the week when he's, like, come home from a long day, because I know he only does it on Friday. And from, I think, 10 to noon, that's, like, his yard work time. And that really helped the relationship, whereas, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I need help with the laundry. And I usually don't ask him during the week unless it's Friday because that's his day off. <laughs> but it really helped us because I'm like, you know, I don't want to be, like, nagging him, like, throughout the week. You're supposed to do this. You know, were you, like, were you supposed to help me with this? But thinking at his schedule, I'm like, oh, you know what? This is a really busy week for him. And then we do have a virtual assistant that works at the church, and she she puts everything on the calendar where I see what he's doing. I know when he's, like, having, like, if he's meeting with uh, people dealing with the building, I know that's going to be a rough week for him. So I plan ahead, you know what, when he gets home, I want the kids to be, like, asleep already. I don't want the kids bothering him. And it's really knowing what the other person's feeling where I don't come across, even I have a strong personality that I'm always like, you need to do this. You know, you forgot to do this because I'm going to, he did say this before, like, you're not my mom. And I was like, I know I'm not your mom, but you need help. <laughs> but along the lines of communication, <laughs> keep so it good. clear. Yes. Current. And then keep it current. Like sometimes we'll bring up stuff that just doesn't matter or we're offended, we're hurt. So we bring stuff up that happened a year ago, two years ago. I mean, we don't get his, we don't get hysterical. We get historical in an argument where we just bring stuff up that isn't current. So when you're in a conflict, when you're in something, especially if you have, and, and many of you are like this where you're just like, Hey, we're in the Silicon Valley. A lot of type A personalities are attracted to the Silicon Valley. So there's a lot of strong leaders in our room. A lot of you are entrepreneurs, leaders, and in our home, because we believe what Genesis has is, is, is the order of sophistication. As we said last week, God started with day and night. Then he moved to land and sea. Then he moved to the plants and animals. And then we see man. And then we see woman at the top. What is that? That's ascending order of sophistication. So we, we value women, and we don't want to put them down. They have great assets and great tools and great things that, that they can just leverage in the home and in business. And so we want to honor that. And so that starts in the home, modeling that. And not being so, well, 
this is a male dominant. No, no, no. It's saying, hey, what am I going to be stronger at? What are you going to be stronger at? That's that oneness becoming better. What's another question? The other question did say, what's not sexually allowed in marriage? You know what? That's a great question you definitely have with your spouse. Like, talk to them and say, what are they comfortable with? Um, Today, you have a lot of, I mean, the gate is open on that subject. Like, like there is no, I mean, because of the internet and because of porn, anything is readily available. And what's happening now is we're so desensitized that the drug, the dopamine in your brain that you used to get because of your, your one partner that's supposed to have that, that, that godly, wholesome sexual outlet. Now your wife cannot compete with what's on, on line today. She just can't. All right. And that in and of itself is a total different thing to talk about. But what's happening is we become so desensitized. Here's what I would say to you. I would say you probably need to take 30 days without sex in your life. You say, why? You need to hit the restart button. Because your brain is now so wired that you need things so extreme that you don't even get aroused. And let me just, let me just go there for a second. Buckle up your seatbelt just for a second. Because you're not getting aroused, your spouse is feeling so defeated like, Wow, they're not even attracted to me. I don't, I don't fulfill my spouse. And that's very defeating to your partner. They just feel like, wow, you've just, and you say, well, no, no, it's, it's on me. No, 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 it affects your partner. So you may need, and because of our porn-ready culture, you may need to hit the 30-day reset and say, honey, I need to, uh, if this is the man, I need to reset my mind because that's how we're wired. These pictures stay in our mind. And so after 30 days, your body and your mind will reset itself. This is why you see people getting into stronger and stronger porn. It's really sad. It's very sad. And you expect things of your spouse that get stronger and stronger and places that may not be healthy and physically uh, wholesome for your relationship. So you need to have that conversation. What are we comfortable in the bounds of marriage? And then if you find, if one of the spouses, I'm uncomfortable with that, you may need to take a 30 days and say, hey, let me just do a detox and let me just reset my mind because then your body reacclimates because porn just gets you, it, it's always up there. Okay, and they'll study your brain, the back of your brain, where the dopamine hit. It's just like you're a drug addict, except your drug is that you get turned on by a picture. And I don't know if this is a woman or a man, but for men especially, this might be a thing where you say, I'm going to take 30 days. If this is the woman, then you definitely need to have the conversation and say, hey, what is healthy and wholesome? And here's the other side of it. Say, go look at the book of Song of Solomon, okay? And I want you to go through that book, and I believe it's chapter 4, where they lay out their intimacy and how he starts and where he goes and uh, how he treats her and how he loves her through the process. And that would be a great book to look at. Another book that I would recommend is uh, His Needs, Her Needs. And you can go look at that book and it talks more about those things. Those are a couple of resources for you that I would go look at. Anything else? No. Those are the questions. Those are the questions? Yeah. Let me wrap things up with a couple other things real quick because many of us, we're looking at the events of marriage and we're like, Man, the events are so, they're stressful, they're struggling, and it just seems like, you know, even our sex life isn't great, our dating, our communication. And you say, man, we're really struggling. And it's because, like, in my backyard, if you go there, I've got these rose bushes that are beautiful, that we had them trimmed, they look gorgeous. Now, I could not take those rose bushes and pick those up and move to Arizona and transplant those in the middle of the desert. They would die. You say, why? Because it's not the event, it's the environment. Some of you are like, why isn't the event great? Why aren't we having fulfilling and life-giving intimacy? And it's not the event. 
It's the environment you've created. There could be a toxic culture. There could be a culture of bitterness. There could be a culture of resentment, unforgiveness. And you need to deal with the environment before you deal with the events. A lot of people come to a church or they'll go to a counselor and they just want to talk about, hey, we're fighting, we're arguing. Hey, we're, there's infidelity. You're only dealing with event-driven issues and not environment issues. And the environment has to do with your heart. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart flow the issues of life. Everything stems from the heart. So you say, I want to get, a, I want to have a great relation. I want to have a great marriage. It really starts with this heart issue. So that's why we teach young people and we, we teach this, Hey, a monogamous relationship is not a monotonous relationship because you're, you're, you're growing in this oneness. And the Bible says that, that, that God wants us and God brought you together. He wants this thing to work out. Here's a cool passage in scripture in Genesis chapter 24, you meet the patriarch Abraham and Abraham's wife, Sarah has just passed away. And so Sarah, and so Abraham's looking to buy a cave. In those days, you would buy a cave and you turn it into a tomb. Uh, anybody ever seen pictures of Petra? You ever seen those pictures of Petra? It's in Jordan's beautiful, built in the rock. Or if you saw uh, the third Indiana Jones movie where he's riding through the canyon, all of a sudden you see this massive uh, uh, statue and things in, into the rock. That's Petra. Now, when you look at that, that is not a palace. That's a tomb. And so back in those days, they believed that the afterlife, the tomb you built here, is like what you would have in the afterlife. Well, there was some carryover, and so you'd buy a, a cave, you'd decorate it, be ornate. And so Abraham buys the cave in Genesis 24, and it's called the cave of Machpelah. And he buys this cave, and this cave is what's unusual, is the fact, the size of this cave. You say, why? What, what was unusual about the size? It was 375 feet by 500 feet. This is a large, large cave. And the Bible says that Abraham and Sarah were buried there. The Bible also tells us that Isaac and Rebekah were buried there. But then what's interesting is you meet the third generation, which is uh, uh, Jacob and Leah and Rachel. And Jacob's son is Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery. And I know I'm moving fast. I'll catch you up. In the last request of Jacob, he's talking to his son, Joseph. And he tells his son, do not bury me in Egypt. And as soon as I read that, I was like, that's interesting. Why wouldn't we want to be buried? And he says, bury me with my fathers in the cave of Machpelah. You say, what was going on there? You see, the cave, the size of the cave was meant not just for Abraham, not just for Isaac, not just for Jacob. It's for the generations. It was the cave of couples. You see, what Abraham did was he was thinking generation after generation after generation when they successfully completed their marriage, when their marriage is at an end, that's where they would be buried. And they would come back to this cave and they would be buried in this land. And so that was Abraham's goal for his family. But you know what? The fourth generation no longer went back or were buried there. It stopped at the third generation. And you see, for 400 years, they were in Egypt. For 400 years, they continued in bondage there. Why? They weren't going back. And some of us, we haven't set the goal that we're going to make it to the cave of couples. We're going to make it all the way. We're going to do what it takes. We're going to go all the way. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there's difficult moments. Yes, we don't have it all together. Yes, we got some baggage. We got some issues. And we're not going to unpack it all. But we're not going to pack up our bags and walk out. We're not going to leave on this thing. I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. God brought you together. I don't care what you think about it. God brought you. The Bible says what God has brought together, let no man pull asunder. Uh, you may think, oh, we just met in a restaurant. We just met in a bar. No, no. God brought you together. So what God starts, you can't stop. So you say, God, you're going to have to save this relationship because I can't do it. 
I'm messing it up. I'm screwing it up. So God, I, I need you in this relationship. I want to make it to that cave of couples. And I believe that's your desire. I believe that's for people here. You're single and that's what you want for your relationship. I believe there are people that are engaged. That's what you want. There are people that are dating. That's what you want. You want to make it. You want to be that cute elderly couple shuffling down to the coffee shop. And you just step back. You just admire them. They're just holding hands and they buy one cup of coffee and they share it. They buy one little muffin or Danish and they share it. And you stop what you're doing. You close your laptop and you kind of get a little emotional as you look at them. Because you know 60, 70 years, you experience a lot of life. And you see that couple and something inside of you says, I want that. I don't know how they got there. But man, when I'm 84, I want to be sharing a cup of coffee and a Danish with this person. And I know we're going to go through hell and high water, but man, that's what I want. I want that more than I want my secretary. I want that more than I want just a cheap thrill. Because the, the today says, hey, live, today's culture says live for pleasant pleasure, not for future fulfillment. That's, the, that's what society's pushing on you, on everybody around you. Hey, it's all about present pleasure. But have in your mind, we want to make it to the cave of couples. And we're all about future fulfillment. Can we all stand and I want to pray for you? As we close out our service, nobody's looking around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to talk to the couples in this room. I want to talk to you. I know there are people in this room and, and your marriage, some of you, your marriage is amazing. It's great. It's on fire. It's hot. You love each other. But you say, hey, I still want God in on this thing. I want to see in purple. Three full quarters, not easily broken. I need purple. I'm hanging by a thread. I need something else. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, hey, our relationship is rocky. It's rough. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, hey, I, I want to get into this thing, marriage. But I'm, I'm, I'm really gun shy. I'm not sure if it's going to make it. My parents didn't make it. My, my girlfriend's parents didn't make it. And we're not sure about this thing. So we're not, we're not going to jump into something until we're 100% sure. And you're scared to make, take that step of commitment. Because you've seen things go bad and you've seen some things that get ugly but I want to pray for you I don't know where your relationship is but I want to pray for you and with nobody looking around would you say this morning Pastor Makai would you pray for my relationship would you pray that man when I meet somebody I'd make it to the cave of couples or the person I'm with we'd make it to that cave of couples that's you just slip up your hand nobody's looking I can pray for you I see that hand I see that hand hands up in my left hands in the center section hands on my right I see those hands Wow. Hands up everywhere. God bless you. Put your hands down. I want to pray for you. Would you grab the hand of your spouse or put your arm around him? And I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to ask my wife to pray over you. And we're going to ask God to do a miraculous work. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you see these hands. There are people this morning, they dragged in thinking there's no hope. Their, their, their relationship's hanging by a thread. Their marriage's hanging by the thread. They're not sure what to do. And God, in this room, we, we got to some deep questions, but there's a lot underneath the surface. And so, Father, they're wrestling with things. And they got things going on inside. They got things with the kids, things with the bills, things with the housing, things with work. And God, they're overwhelmed. And on top of it, they got, they got this relationship. And so, God, we need you. We cry out for you. We need your help this morning. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to them. God, I pray that over the next 24 hours, you would reveal to them that you are in this relationship, that you would give them a visible, audible sign that says, this is right. This is good. Stay in the fight. Keep going. Keep marching to that cave. Don't give up on the cave. Set your mind that we're going to make it to the cave of couples.
that we're going to leave a legacy that not just for our generation, but for the next and the next, we're not going to stop at the fourth generation. We're going to keep going. So I pray for these people, God. I pray for our church that we'd have strong marriages, beautiful marriages, beautiful relationships where people meet wonderful and godly people where they find love and they don't just live for present pleasures, but they find future fulfillment. So I pray this over these people. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Dear God, I pray for the husbands, the wives. I pray for a special anointing over them. I pray, Lord, as those who are struggling and just even thinking if their marriage is going to make it one more day. Lord, I pray that you would give them hope during this time. I pray for the wives that they would feel alone, the husbands as well. I pray that you would give them the strength that they need. Lord, I pray for the single women and single men in this room, who those who are seeking for marriage, or maybe they've had a rough past. Lord, I pray that you would assure them at this moment that their identity is not found in a relationship, but it's actually found in you, and that fulfillment is actually found in you first. I pray, Lord, that you would protect the marriages in this room. I pray that you would not let Satan get into their marriages and their relationship. I pray that the husband and the wife would be intentional, they would think ahead of what's any cost. It could be a person, it could be a family member, that they would protect the other person from them. I pray that you would put your special blessing on them. In Christ, let me pray.